Welcome, podcast friends. We have a fantastic episode for you today. Last year, we published The Best Investment Writing, Volume 4. We offered authors the opportunity to record an audio version of their chapter to be released as a segment of the podcast, and listeners loved it. This year, we're once again bringing you the entire volume of The Best Investment Writing, Volume 5, in podcast format. You'll hear from some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers from all over the world. Enough from me. Let's get to our guest and let them take over this special episode. Hello, this is Dan Rasmussen. I'm the founding partner of Verdad Advisors. Verdad is an investment management firm. We manage about $500 million across small cap value, high yield bonds, and tactical asset allocation. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at www.verdadcap.com. You can find me on Twitter at, at VerdadCap. And please sign up for our weekly mailing, uh, weekly email research, uh, which comes out every Monday and which you can find in my Twitter bio. I'm going to read a piece titled Crisis Investing, which we published in January of 2020, right before the great COVID crash. We are 10 years into one of the longest bull markets in history. But what if the market turns? What if greed turns to fear, optimism to pessimism? This concern, amplified by the salient pain of the 2008 global financial crisis, has led many investors to set aside portions of their portfolio in cash, bonds, and gold. They imagine that in another March 2009 or February 2016 or December 2018, they'll have the fortitude to buy the dip, deploying their sleep-at-night money into risk assets at the bottom. But if history is any indicator, those skittish during the great bull market will be panic-stricken when volatility hits. Fund flows into risk assets are, after all, pro-cyclical, rising in good times, falling in bad times. In the fog of war, most people's decision-making abilities are impaired, not heightened. It didn't work in prior crises. We have spent the past year studying every financial crisis in the U.S. since 1970. We have done this work for your benefit, so that you will keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. When weak hands fold, when forced sellers liquidate, We hope this research will help you make good decisions. To develop this in-depth analysis of market panics, we looked at every major asset class, every sector, and every quantitative factor. We looked at index-level data, and then we built a database of security-level data. We read through the newspapers during each panic to understand what investors most feared, and we distilled the lessons from this massive study into the report you are now listening to. A variation of an ancient Roman proverb says, Fortuna eruditus favit. Fortune favors the prepared mind. Tolstoy wrote in Anna Karenina, Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Markets are the opposite. Bull markets are all bullish in their own ways. The leaders in one expansion are almost never the leaders in the next. In the 2000, companies with exposure to emerging markets and commodities were the biggest winners. In the 2010s, the FANG stocks and other tech companies drove the market expansion. It's hard to predict what investors will fall in love with in a bull market. But crises are alike. A recent academic study found that standard models for predicting returns in equity markets are 8x as predictive during recessions as during expansions. Take, for example, the classic factors that Nobel Prize winner Eugene Fama and his researcher uh, partner Ken French developed, size, value, and investment. The smallest decile stocks, the cheapest decile stocks, and the most conservative capital deployment decile stocks perform much better during crises and with much higher consistency than at any other times. 
In fact, crisis periods account for most of the excess returns attributable to each factor over the entire duration of our observed period from 1953 to 2019. The higher returns to quantitative investing accrue from the abnormally bad behavior of humans. During bad economic times, investors and lenders panic. Consider these quotes drawn from newspapers during previous crises. The main excesses of the past few years have scarcely begun to be liquidated, said one investment advisor in 1969. We're talking about a possible economic wipeout, said Tim Richardson in 1986. They're selling the good with the bad because they can. They're throwing everything out the window, said another in 2000. This market sentiment has real-world impact. When investors and lenders panic, they reduce new lending and new investment as they attempt to de-risk their balance sheets. In a famous paper, Ben Bernanke labeled this the financial accelerator. Economic shocks cause investors and lenders to panic and stop new lending and investing. Firms that rely on external financing reduce their discretionary spending and weaker firms go bankrupt, all of which reflexively feeds back into aggregate economic activity. We can see this pattern recurring in the historical data. Default rates and borrowing costs for high-yield issuers track a GDP-based recession indicator. During recessions, the high-yield spread spikes upward, default rates soar. This stress rewards companies that are profitable and cash-generative, while weak firms and companies that are investing heavily in burning cash struggle and often go bankrupt. Simple, logical, quantitative factors are significantly more predictive during these times of economic crisis than they are during expansions. Crises are high-stress environments where basic tests of solvency and profitability become seminally important in dictating a company's survival and economic future. Companies like Tesla or WeWork may thrive during expansions when money is cheap, but such excesses do not long survive in times of market turmoil. Investors who can keep their heads when everyone about them is losing theirs can therefore exploit simple predictable rules to make significantly outsized returns and have the confidence that the probability of achieving these higher returns is much higher in times of crisis than otherwise. The only problem is the extreme behavioral difficulty of investing when others are panicking. So for each crisis, we read through the newspapers at the time of the crisis and studied the key quotes from that research to help provide insight into just how stressed investors were and the levels of fear one would need to overcome to profit. Today, I will lay out the information you need to make decisions when crisis strikes. We first looked at how different asset classes perform when high-yield spreads are above and below 6.5% to get a sense for how they perform during tranquil times and terms of panic. Small-value stocks outperform other asset classes when spreads are below 6.5%, but vastly outperform when spreads are at or above 6.5%. Not surprisingly, high-yield bonds perform in line with investment-grade bonds when spreads are low, but perform well when spreads are high. The U.S. market and investment-grade bonds perform roughly in line and before and after, and treasuries are the lowest-yielding asset class both when high-yield spreads are low and high. Regardless, the best-performing asset class during these periods has historically been small-cap value by a country mile. What about alternative assets? Investors might plan to take advantage of the next crisis through private alternatives like private equity and distressed debt. In fact, many investors have private equity and distressed debt allocations uh, precisely to take advantage of these moments of panic. We consider both alternatives. Private equity. Unfortunately for investors in private equity, private equity firms essentially stop deploying capital when high-yield spreads rise above 6.5%, which is also the time when returns in private equity are the best. High-yield spreads had a negative 69% correlation with quarterly private equity deal volume from 2006 to 2018. When spreads are high, debt financing is hard to acquire and deal volume plummets. When markets are in freefall, most private equity investors will wait for things to settle before resuming deal flow instead of buying the most distressed assets at the optimal time. 
Investors with large PE allocations therefore find their capital flows are pro-cyclical. They invest with the most money when debt is cheap and multiples are high, and the least money during times when the spread is wide and valuations are low. Even for the most prepared and disciplined investor, reacting in times to rising high-yield spreads would be extremely challenging. As we mentioned previously, equity returns are maximized in the two to three months after high-yield spreads hit six and a half. It will be near impossible for a private equity investor to deploy meaningful amounts of capital into multiple opportunities in two to three months while borrowing rates for debt are rising. In terms of returns, private equity vintage year returns are significantly higher in years when the high-yield spread is over 6.5%. The average IRR for a vintage year where spreads average above 6 is 17% versus 12% for a vintage year when spreads average below that. But if we compare vintage year returns and 12-month forward returns in the Cambridge Associates PE index to FAMA French value or our multi-factor model, which we'll describe below, we see that performance is significantly worse. In summary, while private equity seems like it should be an ideal asset class to take advantage of these opportunities, higher borrowing costs, short windows of opportunities, and high degrees of uncertainty prevent private equity from acting. Distressed debt. Distressed debt would seemingly be the optimal asset class to take advantage of times of financial distress. Distressed funds will opportunistically invest in the debt, equity, or trade claims of companies in financial distress are already in default. Distressed funds can take advantage of these opportunities by buying stakes at considerable discount. Given this mandate, they should outperform during periods of uncertainty. However, the performance of distressed funds lag even the triple C index. The multi-factor equity model we discuss below outperforms distressed debt by four and a half times. In the most optimistic case, distressed funds may be outperforming the triple C index before fees, but the fact remains the returns lag far behind equities. Distressed investing underperforms multi-factor model because the multi-factor model is buying companies that are cheap and healthy, whereas the distressed debt funds are buying businesses that are in an unhealthy, precarious, high bankruptcy risk situation. With a lower default or bankruptcy rate than distressed fund portfolios, it should be no surprise that the multi-factor model performs. In summary, neither PE nor distressed debt funds are the right vehicles to take advantage of these opportunities. Given the significant outperformance of small value equities during these time periods, a dedicated public small value exposure is the optimal way to capitalize on these moments. However, deciding to allocate to public small value during these times is not enough. To ensure that capital is put to work during these events, funds should commit to having a dedicated allocation that is drawn down when high-yield spreads hit a certain threshold, similar to PE. This would suggest that even during the most trying times, investors have the discipline and structure in place to take advantage of these truly unique opportunities. (laughs) 